good morning, everybody. I am really, really excited to be here. Um, it's Memorial Day weekend. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you all. Uh, I've been living here about mm, four and a half years now, and I'm still not quite used to the weather phenomenon that happens right about now. Uh, <laughs> uh, everywhere else in the United States, Memorial Day weekend ushers in something called summer. <laughs> have you heard of it? Summer? Yeah. But not here. In San Francisco, we have something called June gloom, don't we? It's when that marine layer comes off the ocean and hunkers down in our city, and we get that foggy, chilly weather for a few months. I'll never forget the first time my husband and I uh, visited San Francisco. We, I think it was the month of August, and we landed at SFO in shorts and tank tops to a balmy 55 degrees. And then three hours later, we each bought a $40 sweatshirt that said Alcatraz on it. <laughs> sort of a rite of passage for tourists, isn't it? <laughs> well, as Pastor Terry mentioned, um, I had the privilege to share with you all about a year ago. And a few weeks later, June Gloom entered our city, uh, but it also, uh, in a figurative way, entered my life. And uh, little did I know that the message that I shared with all of you guys was first and foremost meant for me. Here are some highlights. I think sometimes we forget how powerful God is. He's inviting all of us to journey with Him, to come in, to, to, to see what kind of adventures and missions we can have together. He wants to do amazing things in your life, but it's your choice. A friend of mine once told me, we can't limit God, but we can limit how we experience God. Because if we say we believe, we need to act on that belief. Is God calling you to a mission? Maybe it's going to seem a little risky, a little foolish, uh, maybe even impossible. And sometimes the mission is simply to endure. But God says, no, you don't have to freak out and fall apart. He says, it doesn't matter where you are in that journey of faith. If you're just starting out, or if you're in the, if you're in the trenches with me, he says, we can keep calm and choose joy. We can, we can overcome even the most impossible missions because we know that with God, the giver of peace, of life, of faith, his unfailing love, we know that with God all things are possible. Well, I had been feeling some pain up and down my arm for a while and finally went in to get it checked out. And to my shock, I had several cancerous tumors in my underarm area. I had been uh, diagnosed with breast cancer back in 2010, underwent fairly aggressive treatment, and the doctors told me that I had a 98% chance of being cured. And I thought, those are, those are great odds. Thank you, Lord, for healing me, and moved on with my life. And it's just something I never fathomed that I would have to, have to deal with again. On June 8th of last year, my husband and I, we drove through the fog to my oncologist's office. And we wanted to get all the results of my tests, and uh, the cancer was back all right. But this time, it was in my lymph nodes, and it had spread to my bones, in my spine, my shoulder, my hip. And my Harvard-educated doctor told me very matter-of-factly, well, it's stage four now, and there is no cure. No cure. What was he saying? I just couldn't believe my ears. It was, it was such a tense, uh, surreal moment. And Michael and I just sat there in silence for a while. And it was almost like a scene from a bad movie. I heard myself ask him, well, how long do I have to live? me in my big mouth. <laughs> Let me give you a tip. If you don't want to know the answer to a question, don't ask the question, okay? But I asked it. I blurted it out, and he answered it. He said, 
if uh, you respond well to treatment, maybe a few years, maybe five would be the best case scenario. And if you don't respond to treatment at all, it could be as quick as six months. Six months to five years, I was stunned. Have you ever experienced something where in the course of just a couple of seconds, everything changes forever? You know, he went on to talk about treatments and all that, but it was like the wah, 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 wah in the peanuts, you know? I mean, I was not hearing a thing he was saying. Um, all I could think was, I think I'm dying. And the next few days, I was just trying to process everything. I was also madly researching uh, different treatment options and trying to learn more about my particular type of cancer. I have a background in economics and was trained as a business analyst, so um, I'm very partial to data. And all the data that I found corroborated my doctor's prognosis, and I was convinced. Um, I wasn't going to make it to six months. I wasn't going to make it to Christmas, and I just felt so hopeless, so hopeless. I couldn't stop thinking about my family. Uh, to say that I was in an emotional tailspin is probably an understatement. My, my husband of uh, over 20 years, my three amazing boys, at the time they were just 15, 12, and 7. My little guy was just 7. You know, I, I know that God loves my children more than I do. I know that. And I also know that he'd take good care of them if I were gone. I just didn't want to miss out. Is that selfish, not wanting to miss out? I want to be a grandmother. You know, I have it all planned out. I'm going to feed my grandkids lots of sugar at 10 o'clock at night and rile them up and then drop them back off at their parents' house. You know? I have a plan. But I was also trying to reconcile this with my faith because I do believe that God's grace is sufficient. And I do believe that heaven is waiting for me, but I just couldn't get excited about it. I couldn't get excited about seeing Jesus. And what kind of Christ follower does that make me, to be honest? And I felt abandoned. I felt like, I don't know, God just didn't want to bless me anymore. You know, wasn't I useful to him anymore? I mean, there aren't that many Korean blind girls with cancer running around down here. You know, I could be useful to him. I want to make Jesus famous. Lord, use me. But it's like he stamped me with an expiration date and I was to be thrown out. And I found myself slowly but surely slithering toward that deep, dark pit of despair and depression. I think some of you guys know what I'm talking about. I want to take a pause right here and just give you a narrative of what was going on with me. I believe that I was being tempted. You know, when things go south in our lives, we, um, we're tempted to take our focus off of God and to just focus on our daunting circumstances. We get so overwhelmed. And um, I believe that I was tempted to question his promises and his, his, his truths and his goodness and his love for me. But God doesn't let us off the hook that easily. He wants to pursue us. He's going he's gonna to come after us. He wants to bring our focus back to him. And that's what he did with me. I call this the next part of the story, the pursuit. So about a week after my prognosis, I had to uh, fly out to Maryland to fetch my son, my oldest son, who was at a science camp. Oh, and I remember moving through the uh, airport. My heart was so heavy. I was like a zombie. All I could keep, keep thinking was all these people are living and I'm dying. And I got to security, uh, took the hand of the security guard who led me through the metal detector. And when I got to the other side, I, I loosened my grip. But then he tightened his. And then he said to me, hey, I know you. I just saw you at Cornerstone a couple weeks ago. I heard your message. What a great message. Thank you. I thought, that's kind of, you know, what are the odds of that? That's funny. You never know who, who you're going to meet, right? <laughs> 
When I landed in Baltimore, uh, my ride was late, so I settled down in baggage claim, um, and I started talking to a lady next to me, and it turned out that she had a daughter who was exactly my same age, who was also blind, who also had the exact same eye condition I did. Kind of strange, two coincidences in one day. A few days later, um, we went to church, my son and I, with some friends uh, at a church near Baltimore, and on the drive there, we somehow got on the topic of skinny jeans. And Rocco was saying how you know, he wouldn't be caught dead in them, but that his brothers loved to wear them, and that San Francisco was the epicenter for skinny jeans. <laughs> I'm sure you would agree. <laughs> Imagine our surprise when uh, the pastor got up to speak, and the first thing he did was he held up a pair of skinny jeans. Yeah, we're like elbowing each other. Hey, we're just talking about that. Um, he was talking about putting on uh, Christ as clothing, and he was, he was in, the intro was all about what kind of clothes you like to wear. After his message, he brought up the youth group, and uh, he prayed for them. They were going on a missions trip to San Francisco. <laughs> and then at the end of the service, they brought up a, a staff member who had served uh, at the church for 30 years. And they were doing a tribute for him and all that. And um, guess where he was born and raised? <laughs> California. He's from California. Um, and as I watched his family come up on stage and love on him, I just thought to myself, wow, 30 years. I would love to have 30 more years to serve the Lord. But I don't. I only have six months. And right then and there, I had this realization. God was sending me some data points of his own. And I felt like he was saying to me, Alex, I see you. I, you think I forgot about you? No, I haven't taken my eye off of you for one second. I see you. The airport security, the baggage claim lady, the skinny jeans, these are, I'm trying to show you that I'm right here. I see you. And right then, I remember the title of that message that I gave um, a few weeks before, Mission Possible. God wanted me to remember that all things are possible with him. I got on a plane to go home, and um, I was thinking about Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It's in your handout if you'd like to look at it with me. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. God was inviting me to trust him despite the impossible circumstances. And the word that really stood out to me here was submit. What did it mean to submit? I thought about that a lot. And I thought about Jesus the night of his betrayal in the garden and his prayer. Um, the, the passage Luke 22, it's in your handout just for your reference. I'm going to put up a couple of verses that we can focus on. Jesus is deeply troubled. He knows that he has to face the cross. What does he do? He goes to be with his father. He goes to the garden to pray. And I believe that this prayer is, is the best example of submission in the Bible that we have. Let's look at it. It's verse 42. We'll put it up on the screen. This is how he prays. He, he prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's such a simple, concise prayer, isn't it? And yet it's so profound. It's so profound and so difficult for us to do sometimes. Note, note that there's two parts to the prayer. The first part, Jesus asks God boldly for what the desire of his heart is. You know, Lord, take this cup from me if there's any other way. But then the second part, he just lays it down before his Lord. He lets go. And uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I pray one part, and sometimes I pray the other part, 
but I don't pray them both necessarily together. And I think that's what true submission is, is when we clearly articulate what we want, but then we say, Lord, we trust you. We know that you are always good and you know what, you, you, we know that you, you want what's best for us. And therefore I'm gonna lay it down and let your will be done, not mine. That is true submission. When I got home from my trip, a couple days later, I had to face a bone biopsy. Doesn't that sound like fun? Bone biopsy, they take a giant needle and they ram it through your bones and take out a bunch of chunks to test. I hate needles, all right? I hate pain. I faint at the mere sight of needles, okay? That's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> I can't see anything, remember? I can't see the needles. Come on, keep up with me here. <laughs> But a few hours before I had to go into the hospital, um, I just fell on my knees on the cold bathroom floor and I just started weeping. I just started weeping. I was home alone, so I just let it fly. I'm sure my neighbors thought I was crazy. <laughs> they think we're crazy anyway with my crazy boys. Um, but I just had to lay it all out before the Lord. I couldn't hold it back any longer and I just cried, Jesus, please help me, help me. I'm so scared. I'm so scared, I, I got nothing. I'm confused, um, you know, I'm not handling this very well. I'm freaking out and falling apart, Lord, help me. And I knew I had to submit to him. And so I prayed, just as Jesus had prayed in that garden, following that example, I prayed, Father, if you are willing, please give me 30 years, 30 more years. And you know that kind of sounds greedy, Lord, I know that, but if I ask for 30, maybe you'll give me 15. <laughs> But Lord, give me 30 years, and, uh, and then I knew I had to just let go of it and trust his perfect will. But your will, Lord, not mine. Your agenda, not mine. Take a look. We're going to put up verse 43 in that Luke passage. Take a look at what happens to Jesus right after he prays his prayer of submission in the garden. Verse 43, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him strengthening him. I don't know how long I was on that bathroom floor, um, but when my tears finally dried, I felt different. I felt a little bit more at peace. Um, God had comforted me like a, like a father embracing a sobbing child. And you see, my circumstances hadn't changed. I still had to face that giant needle and, and the ambu ambiguity of the uh, treatment in the months ahead. Um, but something in my heart had shifted. Um, almost like I was resuscitated, you know, refueled. I felt a little stronger. And over the course of the next few days and weeks, um, I began to uh, feel more hope and less despair, more courage and less, less fear. When we put our focus back on God, he will not only comfort us, but he will also strengthen us. Let's take a look at Isaiah uh, 40, 31. It's in your handout. It's such a beautiful promise about how God gives us his strength. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So beautiful. Uh, the word renew here in the original Hebrew, it actually means to revive, to restore from a state of decay, to make to flourish again. And I love that Isaiah mentions the eagle, which the ancients believed that the eagle was the one creature that could fly closer to the sun than any other creature. When we put our hope in God, we're like eagles flying toward the sun. It's so beautiful. 
Do you know what that makes me think of, though? Superman. Okay, can you tell I have all boys? <laughs> um, I was recently uh, tutored on the mythology of Superman by a friend. And I always knew that kryptonite uh, drained Superman's strength, but I didn't realize that the sun renewed it, restored it. And some of you might have seen the, the latest movie, you know, Superman saves the world, and it almost kills him, and he flies toward the sun, and, and uh, his shriveled body is floating above the atmosphere, and then you see the, the sun's healing ray starting to shine on him, and it just brings him back to life. It completely revives him. Completely revives him. That life-giving sun. Beautiful, life-giving sun. Don't you just love it when the sun comes out? Right? After it's been dark and dreary, and it finally starts to come out, and the clouds begin to dissipate, and the rays start to peek through a little bit, and you turn your face up toward it to feel the warmth. You know, I can't see sunlight anymore, but I can feel it. And it just feels so good, doesn't it? When the sun is out, life just seems a little bit better. You know, God is our sun. God is our sun. He is our life-giving sun, and, and we're Superman. We're a Superman. When, when you feel like you've had the life sucked out of you, you have to fly toward that sun. Fly toward the sun. I don't know what kind of kryptonite you might be dealing with today. Maybe it's health issues like me. Maybe it's stuff at work, or your marriage, or an addiction, or a broken dream. But God sees you. Know that he sees you. Know that he wants you to put your focus back on him. The answer is always to move closer to him. Move closer to him. What does that mean to move closer to him? It means just to get to know him better, to get to know his son better wherever you are, just to get to know him a little bit better. You can trust him. Do you find that it's hard to trust him sometimes? I certainly do. You know, what helps me is that um, when I find that the trust is hard, I, I, I remember. I look back on my life and I think about the times that Jesus got me through those difficult times, you know, those storms, and that just gives me strength. It helps to remember. And when I have trouble trusting God, I think about the cross. I think about what Christ did at that cross for us so that we could have a relationship with him and that we have eternity to look forward to. Submit to him. Hope in him. You know, hoping. What does that look like? Um, sometimes it's about just being in God's word, being in God's word. I spent the entire month of June last year, I must have read the book of Psalms, I don't know, 20 times, maybe. It gave me so much comfort. And, and the Bible is so full of so many comforting scriptures and promises. And another way we can feel hope is to just glom onto other people's hope, right? Hope in community. Be around other people who who know Jesus, who, who love Jesus, who hope in Jesus. You know, help each other through. Help each other through. And um, I think the most important thing is just talk to him. Talk to him. God loves you. Just talk to him. You know, we call it prayer, but it's really just talking to him, telling him how you feel. You can be completely honest. Ask him for what you need. He'll give you what you need. I remember years ago, I heard a speaker, and afterward, I went up to her and I said, you know, I just wish I had more faith. And she said to me, have you asked God for more? I said, what? I can do that? Is that allowed? Yes, it's allowed. It's allowed, she said. She said, we, we worship a limitless God. 
with limitless resources. We couldn't ask him for anything more. More faith, more hope, more peace, more patience, whatever we need. Remember, we can't limit God, but we can limit how we experience God. So whatever you're dealing with today, just keep moving toward him. Move toward the sun, move toward, move toward Jesus, and he will strengthen you. Amen. Amen. Well, let me give you a health update. Um, obviously, I'm still here, <laughs> so I made it past six months. Um, this past year, I have been doing experimental treatment uh, at UCSF uh, with a clinical trial. The bad news is that I probably have to stay in treatment indefinitely. That's how we, that's how we manage stage four cancer. And uh, a lot of the times, I don't feel that great because of the side effects and the treatment. But the good news, the amazing, miraculous news, is that there are no tumors in my body today. Amen. Thank you, God. I didn't think it was possible, but it's possible. <laughs> I want to take just a couple minutes to thank those of you in the Cornerstone community that have been praying for me. Oh, so many of my amazing prayer warriors out there, thank you so much. My friends and family have recruited probably, I don't know, thousands of people praying for me all over the country and even abroad. And my son Bruno said to me the other day, you know, Mom, I know God's going to heal you because he's going to just get so sick and tired of hearing about you from all these people. <laughs> you know, stop nagging me about this Alex lady. <laughs> So thank you for your prayers. But you know, my prognosis hasn't changed. Um, you know, five years is still the number to beat, and I know that the cancer can come back at any time. But I feel his presence stronger than ever, and um, I feel good. You know, I, I don't know how my story is going to end. I don't know if I'll get my 30 years or my 15 or even my five, but I know the author of my story, the author of your story. And I know that his will is perfect. And in the meantime, what do we do? We're going to trust, submit, hope, repeat, right? In the time that we have left, I want to talk a little bit about how this fits into um, our theme, our series of GLOW. When Pastor Terry first asked me to share during this GLOW series, I had to laugh out loud. Um, actually, I laughed pretty hard, actually, because uh, I have had 20-plus CT scans, uh, MRIs, and PET scans, so I'm pretty sure that I am literally glowing from radiation. <laughs> you know that song, Radioactive? When it comes on the uh, radio, my kids are like, oh, that's you, Mom! <laughs> but how does the glow of our faith impact others? If you are struggling with something right now, um, I just want to encourage you, because maybe your trial has a higher purpose. My first thought is that your glow shines brighter in the darkness. Your glow shines brighter in the darkness. What do I mean by that? Consider the glow of a lamp in a room that's lit. Let's say that the room is lit by an overhead light. Um, you can see the glow from the lamp. It's discernible, but it doesn't necessarily jump out at you. I think this is a good picture of uh, what our faith is like when our life is good, you know, when things are kind of cruising along. But now, turn that overhead light off, and that room is completely dark. But then that same glow from that same lamp, it shines relatively so much more brightly, doesn't it? It illuminates the entire room. There's no way you can miss it. See, I believe that uh, when we go through the difficult times in life, we have a, we have a potential to make a bigger impact on people around us. Um, and God will use our trials to reach other people. 
I kept a blog this past year on a, a site called Caring Bridge. It's a great way to keep my friends and family updated about my treatment. And I love reading the different comments that people post. It's so encouraging to me. And uh, one of my friends who is not a Christ follower, he posted a comment once, and it said something to the effect of, Alex, if you keep this up, I might change my mind about the faith thing. Amen. Yeah, right? Wow. I was jumping up and down. I mean, I was so ecstatic. I couldn't believe it. I mean, if my journey helps my friend get a couple steps closer to Jesus, it's just so worth it. But the whole thing is worth it. But I was a little puzzled, too, because, you know, what does he mean by keep this up? <laughs> what is this? Right? I mean, my blog, it's pretty raw. It's pretty obnoxious. I mean, is he saying that I just have to keep being obnoxious? I don't know. What does he mean? And I thought about that. And um, I think he just means that keeping, keeping the faith, you know, simply keeping the faith, simply believing, um, continuing to follow Jesus through the difficult times, it can point others to Jesus. It's very powerful. Moreover, the glow of our faith, we can take it into somebody else's darkness. We can take it into somebody else's set of difficult circumstances. And that brings me to my second thought. Go help somebody. Okay? Go help somebody. Somebody out there needs you desperately. I, um, I say this from the perspective of someone who has received so much help this year. There's this whole dimension to my story that I, I don't have time to do justice, but hundreds of people have um, given of their time and resources, and it has been just such a blessing to me. Um, I'll give you one example. I've had, I don't know, 25 chemo treatments. I've never had to go alone, and I think only a few people have taken me more than once. And even my nurse said to me one day, man, you got a lot of friends. <laughs> and I know I might be bragging about myself. I'm not. I'm bragging about the body of Christ. Isn't it beautiful? I feel so loved. I feel so loved. I'm so grateful. Um, the same nurse told me that there's a lady uh, who comes in every week all by herself, completely alone, and evidently nobody else knows what's going on with her. And it just breaks my heart. And I know it breaks God's heart, too. Let's take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians. Um, it's, in your, uh, it's, in your, it's in your handout, verse 1, to, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Um, what the Apostle Paul here is saying is that God comforts us so that we can comfort others. He, he comforts us in our time of need. We become conduits of his comfort and his grace, and then we give it away to the next person who needs it. You know, trials are good in the sense that they make us more compassionate. They make us more sensitive to other people's needs. There's somebody out there that needs your comfort today. Comfort them and, and also let yourself be comforted when you're in a time of need. And finally, um, my last thought is, uh, don't let the pain steal the joy. Don't let the pain steal the joy. You know, we should actually expect life to be hard. We shouldn't be surprised by the, by the difficult times that we have to go through sometimes. I mean, even Jesus said that we would have many troubles in this world. But we can live in such a way that the bad stuff doesn't have to snuff out the joy of the good stuff. About a year ago, my family and I, we went um, shopping in Union Square, had a great day. We shopped on Mission Street, and we kind of lost track of time. I think you might know where this is going. 
Have you ever had that sinking feeling when you're standing in front of that spot where your car is supposed to be and it's not there? Yeah, it got towed. $500 later <laughs> to bail that car out, and that's not even including the parking ticket. We drove home in silence. Michael and I were pretty darn grumpy at that point, <laughs> to say the least. And then we heard a little voice pipe up from the back seat. Well, we still had a good day, right? <laughs> Just because dad parked the car on Mission Street and got towed doesn't mean that the entire day was ruined, right? <laughs> Attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. Did we have a good day with some bumps or was the whole day ruined? The pain is commingled with joy on this side of heaven. Celebrations and laughter come hand in hand with the tears and the struggles. But earth is not our final destination. It isn't. We look forward to a perfect eternity with Jesus. We can have an eternal perspective. We can lift our eyes beyond what's right in front of us. So we can live life to the fullest here, despite the pain. Yes, this past year has been extremely painful for me. It has also been immensely joyful. I've learned to make every day count. I don't want to take anything for granted anymore. It's good to have a sense of humor. Wouldn't you agree? I look for every excuse to celebrate, and I feel an urgency to share Jesus with others. But isn't that how we should all be living anyway? Isn't that how, how I should be living before all this cancer business came up again? Isn't that what others should see in our glow? Let me leave you with one last uh, story. Last year, um, it was July, I guess, I was in the thick of treatment, and my then seven-year-old, Julio, went to East Coast to spend some time with his in-laws. And he asked them one night a bunch of questions about my cancer. We weren't quite sure how much he was grasping. And some of his questions are really cute, like, you know, can I, can I hug her? Will it hurt her? Is her cancer contagious? And some of them were pretty sobering, like, is my mom going to die? And my in-laws told me that they answered his questions best they could. And then afterward, he paused for a moment. And then he said, well, if Jesus is gonna, his, uh, has to take my mom home early, I'm sure going to miss her. But I'm not afraid. The little seven-year-old is not afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Even when it seems like we're in the most impossible circumstances, we do not have to be afraid. I want to put up one last verse for you. This is the verse that uh, was the central scripture last year in my message, Joshua 1.9. And yes, Lord, I am learning to walk the talk. <sighs> Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because the Lord your God who created the glorious sun itself will be with you wherever you go. In a minute, um, I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to have our time of giving, but I want to talk about the, uh, the, the, uh, the song that I requested. You guys ready to hear some Beatles this morning? Here comes the sun. Uh, this song has so many meanings for me. Of course, it's, it's about the physical sun and just how wonderful it is to have such a life-giving um, heavenly star in our, in our universe. Um, it also, of course, figuratively, figuratively is about how God is our sun and how he gives us everything that we need. And if you change the spelling of sun, S-U-N to S-O-N, it gives you a whole nother meaning. It's about Jesus and how um, he died and rose and ascended, how he's going to be back, and how he has claimed victory over sin. We don't have to be afraid. Let's pray. Father God, you are like the sun, and we thank you for your son, 
We know you are always present. Help us to keep our focus on you, Lord. We confess that we struggle during the dark times. Comfort and strengthen us, Lord. We know that the answer is always to draw closer to you, and we pray that the glow of our faith will lead others to you. Thank you for your unfailing love through your son Jesus. In his precious name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.